You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Megan Turner. Man, y'all are fun. I hope y'all are going to be as fun with me as y'all were during worship. Is that a deal? My name is Megan. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And I just turned 20, and they make you wear glasses when you turn 20. I mean, when you turn 40. Um, Oh, my wire. My tail. Will you tuck it in for me? So easy to embarrass just like that. Um, hold on. So as you can tell, there's kind of a theme this morning that's already been cut. Is that better? Okay. Um, there's kind of a theme that's been covered this morning that I want to talk about, and it's your story. The Bible refers to that word as your testimony, and the truth is behind every picture, there's a story behind every person Every face, there's a story. And um, recently, Luke posted a picture of me and him wake surfing. We started wake surfing because other water sports, um, that was sweet, wasn't it? Other water sports hurt when you fall, like your back, your shoulder. So this is very um, older people friendly. (laughs) You go like eight miles per hour. It doesn't hurt your knees. Um, And so the picture's great, but... There is a story behind the picture. Um, there is, uh, there's a great debate behind the picture, actually, because this was like 0.0006 seconds of the whole ride, right? And then there's a fall that has caused some severe injury. That, this is on June, and um, I still I have an appointment next week because I think the, the end of my ring finger is dead. I think it died. I think this trip killed it. But... We can't decide if it was me or if it was him that is the cause of the fall. So the story goes, we were surfing together. If you notice, he is going to ride up on my board. So he's going to thrust extra wake and extra wave over onto my board. He's going to give me a kiss, back off, and then he comes back. And he comes back with such force that it's going to look like it's my fault because I have to grab a hold of him. But the only reason that I had to do that was because it was originally his fault. Okay? So that's how the story goes. I'm going to show you, and now you, you're going to testify for me. Okay, here's my testimony. All right, here. All right, see, I'm on my own, doing my own thing, and here he comes. Look at all of that. See, now I get squirrely. Right? Look, see? That was the picture. That's, that's it. Now I'm out of control. Here he comes. It's his fault. All right, we're going to go with that. We're going to keep going. No, I, the, it, it did create, a, the story behind that is it did, I think they have a picture of all the injury. Yeah. There's my dead finger. That was Luke's rope burn. And if you look right here, you can see we're gone, but my finger is still wrapped in the rope. You see? So there's a story behind the picture. So I want to talk to you this morning about the story behind your picture. 
the story behind you, behind the smile, behind the tears? What, what is the story? I think stories are such a connecting and powerful point that people have. I remember when we were going to refuel, which was something that we did with um, our youth group, and it was a conference that we put on ourselves. And so there's something that happens when you go to these large conferences and the worship with the big crowd, it kind of is disarming teens. So I was trying to think of a way that I could take these 160 teens and they come in with walls and they, you know, they're, they are kind of at the stage where I'm not going to do that if it's not cool. I'm not going to do that unless everybody else is doing it. Not y'all. I'm like saying some teenagers. Um, and... So I was asking the Lord, Lord, what could I do that could really make them drop their walls and be as open to receiving what you want to do as possible? So we were on the way up to Charlotte, and I had this God idea. And so I said to Luke, I said, Luke, do you, is there any way you think we can get 160 flashlights? And he was like, right now, on the way to Charlotte, right now. And I was like, I really think it's going to be worth it. So our leaders are going to every gas station on the way up to Charlotte getting, you know, like those little packs of mini flashlights. So we start the session and I'm like, get your flashlight spread out around the room. And we start by asking really funny questions and the lights are down and you turn the flashlight on if that's you. So um, if you like to stay up late at night, turn your flashlight on. If you are a um, movie watcher, turn the flashlight on. If you enjoy um, the mountains over the beach, turn your flashlight on. If you pee in the shower, turn your flashlight on. And so they're, they're laughing. This is the things we do for teenagers that we would not do in here. Um, so it was fun and they were fully engaged. And then the questioning switched just a little. And the first serious question that I asked was, so they're laughing. I think it was right after the DP in the shower. And they're all like, ooh, ooh. And someone else was like, don't act like you don't. So they're laughing, kind of walls are down. And then I said, turn your flashlight on if you've ever felt lonely. And it was dead silence. And then the first flashlight came on. And then another, and then another, and then another. And just like that, the whole feel of the room changed. And so then I said, okay, turn your flashlights off. Turn your flashlight on if you've ever felt depressed. Click, click, click. Turn your flashlight on if you've ever felt anxiety. Um, turn your flashlight on if you've ever had to go through your parents getting a divorce. Click, click, click. Um, so much so even we said, turn your flashlight on if you have ever had suicidal thoughts. Click, click, click. And it was just in that instant of someone sharing parts of their story that made everyone in the room feel comfortable, safe, on the same page and ready for God to do something. There was, it was so disarming and it was such a connecting point that it was a game changer for the whole entire weekend. And I really do believe that our testimonies are that powerful. Scripture actually says in Revelations 12, 11, that we are defeating him and him is talking about Satan by the blood of the lamb and their testimony. So the way you overcome the one that has come to still kill and destroy, the way you do that is by telling your story. Your story, what you've experienced, your personal story. I remember one time <laughs> I was very aggressively telling my story. It was 1990s something. I think I was probably like 11. And it was anniversary Sunday. And 
and my mom is from Georgetown, and there was a whole group of people that had come that she had grown up with, and a bunch of their friends came to surprise them on anniversary Sunday. We're going to the picnic afterwards, so I'm meeting everybody, and she's, you know, she's so proud. This is my oldest daughter, and this is my youngest daughter, and she's telling, introducing, and so this one gentleman reaches his hand out, and he shakes my hand, and he says, hi, my name is Gil, and I was your mama's boyfriend, and she looks just as good today as she did back then. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you. I agree. She's a pretty, she's a pretty smoking mama. And then he made a few more comments like, man, I wish I had another shot. And I was like, at this point, I am so defensive of my dad that I begin to testify to this guy. And I'm like, she's married to the greatest man in the whole world. And she passionately loves, like as this little girl, I feel like this guy is like trying to get up in my dad's space. Now, I'm sure it was the child life, but it was so weird. And then I kept saying, and then I went on to say, and my mom and daddy, they still go on dates. And my daddy, he still nibbles on my mama's ear. And I think my mama had a hickey on her neck last week. <laughs> Not really. But I knew that I had to, in the way to convince the enemy at this point, who was him, was my testimony. I had to testify about how good my daddy was and how happy their marriage was. I don't know if it worked because I still feel like when we were in the dancing line, like the conga line at the picnic, I feel like he kept trying to get beside her. But I kept interfering, don't worry. I ran interference there too. The word testimony actually means the written or spoken record of what God has done the written or spoken record of what God has done. The Hebrew root word means this, return, repeat, and do it again. Return, repeat, and do it again. So when we share our testimony, our story, it brings light to other people, and it also builds our faith. And when our faith is built, what does your faith do? It enacts God. So now, the more I begin to share, the more faith grows and the more miracles you begin to see in your life. And the truth is, people are so desperate for authenticity. Someone's so desperate to hear someone say, no, really, my marriage really is not everything. And there are some really broken places. And God really took the broken pieces and he healed it. Like somebody's not looking for someone just to pretend like everything is okay. They're not looking for just the Instagram story. Like there was a fall. Luke made an accident. There was a fall. There... Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Such an intense debate. No, I'm just kidding. But there's so much more behind the story and people want that. People are searching for something that is authentic and real. Um, a Barna study asked people that are using, they asked them to use a single word to describe Jesus. And the response was, he's wise, accepting, compassionate, gracious, and humble. Then they asked in a single word to describe Christians. They said, critical, exclusive, self-righteous, narrow, and repressive. I think they want to hear what's really happening. What's real, like genuinely what has God done, which means he took some of the broken stuff and he's fixed it. I know for me, I always felt like my story wasn't 
impactful enough. It kind of felt like a boring testimony. And one day someone really challenged me because they said, that testimony means so much to me because my life was so rough and my goal is to raise my children in a healthy home. And so when I hear your testimony about what that provides and how different it changes your children, that's the testimony I'm hoping for my child. And so I want you to know, although it might, it might be this week God's done something little, and it might feel like it's small, but God does great things with really small things. I mean, David killed Goliath with a really small stone. And God fed 5,000 with a little small bit of fish and a small bit of bread. Scripture says that you can move mountains with a faith of a mustard seed. So what your little testimony, the little things, all the little things that God's doing, not just the moment that he saved you, not just how lost you are or you were, but what has he done this week? What hope has he given you for this week? Someone needs to hear that. Um, I think oftentimes we don't understand that what might seem like a small victory for us and what God's done could be a soul vision for someone else. Do you hear that? The victory in your life could be the vision for someone else's. But oftentimes our shame will keep us not wanting to share. I know for me, there is a part of my testimony and story that I have reserved and I've never shared publicly. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is using that. And there will be times when I'm meeting with someone and we're talking about something and I've put that part of my testimony on the table. And it's a game changer. It's a connecting point. And I know when I say this, it operates in a way that makes them safe to say it because shame is a really yucky reason to stop us from sharing our story. But the truth is your shame and you telling your story of God helping you overcome your shame could be the foundation for someone else to overcome theirs. So our shame and our victories that we have carried and we've walked out of, none of those stories were meant for us to hold to ourselves at all. I remember I had an incident where I had surgery and then I had a uh, something went wrong, and I had an internal bleed. So um, I coded. It was a situation, and they took the bandage off, and there was a giant, um, like, baseball-size bleed. So we immediately went into surgery, um, got some blood, got it fixed. And when I was done with that, it was probably a day later, and my dad and, and Chris and Dave and Luke left. We were at a hotel in Myrtle Beach. They left to go get ice cream, and there was something about when they left that anxiety filled me from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, and I had never had anxiety before. And it was, it was gut-wrenching. It was all-consuming. I don't, I don't, and I became so fearful that something was going to happen to one of them. And it was like my eyes had been open to how easily someone can die. And so now the anxiety that something was going to happen to someone that I love took a hold. And when I say it took a hold, for the next year, it dominated my life. It ruined my quality of life. And I felt alone and I felt isolated in it. Luke worked so hard to help me and I had the best support system, but there was nothing they could do that could change the way that I was feeling. They went to dinner with a couple and this guy had been deployed in the military and we sat at dinner and he shared his story of anxiety with me. And it saved my life. It saved my life. And it changed me because the level of him connecting with me and understanding what I was going through, I finally connected his 
Shame of embarrassment was my foundation to build on hope that I knew I could get over this. His victory of getting through it became my vision that I could. And I often have wondered, what if we would have never sat down that day? And so now it is my privilege when I get to sit down with people and they say, well, I'm really struggling with some anxiety. And I'm like, oh, let, let's talk about it. Let's, because it's not something to be embarrassed of, but it is something that we can believe that we're going to overcome. And I'm so thankful for the story that he shared and that he didn't let shame stop him from telling me. Um, I want to show you a video. And this is a video, and it's the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. And he'll say this in here, but just to set it up to make sure that you guys don't miss it. Um, she's a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jewish man. And so back in the time, they would have not they would have not had anything to do with each other. You know, the Jews were in and, and there was law and it was very strict law. And so they were considered unclean. So the fact that Jesus is even talking to her um, is out of the norm. And you will hear her complaining about something about the temple and worshiping. At that point, the Samaritans could not go to the temple. Only the Jewish people could. And so for her, she's saying, you know, there's, there's nothing for me. There is no hope for me. And he's saying, no, no, no. I came to remove that and to make it be about what happens in your heart. And as that begins to happen and she begins to understand what Jesus is saying, I want you to watch at the way that that shame shifts. And then I want you to watch what she does when she leaves to go share her, her story. Take a look. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new, in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? 
Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. <sighs> exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ.
I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> What is? You forgot your um. Papsi, you man, you told me everything I ever did. <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? <laughs> I have two questions for you. Why do you think he asked her to go back and get her husband? I think because he wanted to expose the whole truth. I think that she was so embarrassed and ashamed. That's why she came to the well at that time of the day so that she didn't have to run into anybody else because she was so humiliated by the choices that she had made in life. And he wanted her to know, I know. I know them all. I know the whole story, and yet I have come to be living water to make you never thirsty again. In Scripture, it says this in 2 Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It was her weakness, and his power was made perfect through it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Number two, why does the Bible specifically say in Scripture, when you read the story in Scripture, it specifically says that she left her water jar and took off back to the city? There's a lot of theological discussion around it. The one that I think is my opinion and the most popular one was that it's a symbol that she had finally experienced the living water and that she would never need that ever again ever again. Um, what I love about this story is the end. Because when you look at the next chunk of scripture, John 4, 39 through 42, it says this, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said. The woman had said, and many people believed because of that. Now, when she left the village, she said to Jesus, no one would want to come with me. No one would want to be seen with me. I am ashamed. But she went back from her one experience with Jesus and many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said. Here's this part. He told me everything I ever did. Whoa. She used the bad part of her story and that converted people. Her victory became their vision. Her shame became the foundation for them to believe on. You don't have to hide the bad parts. That's give God the glory for the change. <clears throat> he, told, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Do you see that? 
She comes back, she has an encounter. She tells them they want, they beg for Jesus because of what she said. They beg for Jesus to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. There's something about someone's story and them using it to do something good with it. That is exactly how God intended it. Let's pass month or last month, we got an email at the church and it was a group, an organization here in the low country and they are doing sex trafficking rescue. So two girls came and sat with um, Luke and I and Jen and we had an, a fabulous meeting and here was, there were so many peak points about her story, but they have a home, they have a center, they currently have 50 women rescued out of sex trafficking. Um, there are eight women running the organization, and she said, we're coming to Cathedral because we need to know what it is that you have, because when these girls come out of that, there has to be a place for them to get plugged into. They literally cut off everything that they've known and everything that they walk away from. And if they don't have somewhere else to plug in, then they tend to return. And I don't know if you know this, she said, but there's about seven or eight that are now in your congregation. And she said, and they're thriving at a different level than we see a lot of them. And we want to know what is, what, how can we partner with you guys to help that happen with more of our girls? And here's what I believe. I believe it's because your story is safe. Your story needs to be known. Interesting fact about those women, the women that started that organization, there were eight of them. All eight of them were trafficked. One of them said that she was trafficked right here in a local business. They shut it down and had an actual auction, and she was auctioned off. The other one was began to be trafficked when she was 14 by her stepfather to her dentist. Their story, when they walked down, they said those hotels at the end of Ashley Phosphate are blowing up. When I walk there, I can love on them. I can tell them the love of Jesus, but when those eight women that have been through that walk down into that hotel and they say, I have been there and I'm telling you there is a better way, come with me. That, that's how the enemy is defeated, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. I wanna leave you with this as you go. I think I'm missing a page. Should I leave it down there, babe? Oh no, I'm not, here it is. <clears throat> Matthew 5.13 says this, Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. Here's the deal. Why would salt be what he picked? Have you ever gone to eat at like Yokoso and they give you like the option of the green soy sauce or the red soy sauce, the less sodium, I always pick the red. I'm like, if I'm gonna be here, give me all the sodium. And then the next morning I feel swollen. Like my, literally like my hands feel tight, right? Because the salt in it was so salty. And then all night long, I have to have an extra water bottle. Why? Because the salt makes you thirsty. And I believe that's why we're called to be the salt to the world. Because our story sprinkles salt and it leaves them thirsty. When the woman of the well had encountered Jesus, she went back and she spread her saltiness to all of the people in the Samaritan village. And when Jesus arrived, they were so thirsty for him. And so I want to challenge you as you go, use your story to make people thirsty. We had chapel on Friday. We talked about family. We talked about how cathedral at a school, our goal is to be family oriented. 
And what does that look like? And I had this little boy come up to me afterwards, sweet little sixth grade boy, glasses, big old cute eyes. And he had tears, just lots of tears. And he said, I loved what you said because I love that I get to be a part of this family. But when you talk about family, it kind of makes me sad. He said, because I just wish that one time my dad would come meet me, one time. And you know what I did? I immediately found a few guys that I knew had struggled with the same thing, and I put them together. I said, these are some older guys, and they've experienced what that feels like. And I have no doubt that God put you here because someone else has that same story. And when you hear their story and you hear how the living water of God satisfied their thirst, you're going to know that you're going to be okay too. So I want to end with this. John 14, 9 says, if you have seen me, and this is Jesus talking, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen my father. I want to challenge you that if anyone sees you, that they see your father too. If anyone encounters your path, are your stories of your dad? Are you in touch enough with the goodness of what's happened in your life that you can't contain it? Just like the woman that took off at the well. Are you in touch? I know life has struggles and ups and downs, but when's the last time you really sat down and you looked at the blessings in your life and then you talk about it? Here, you know what I love about the woman at the well? She didn't know any Jesus theology. She didn't know any of it. He was, she was the first one he had revealed himself to. So a lot of times I think people don't share because we don't know a lot about the Bible or we don't know a lot about, about what Christians believe, but you know your story and nobody can argue with that. You know that God's walked you through some really tough times. I know God's gotten me through some really tough times and nobody can debate that. So I pray, this is my prayer for you. Father God, I pray that every person in this room, just as whenever people encountered you, they encountered your father, that Lord, when they encounter us, when they encounter people of cathedral, Lord, that we would be so salty, that would leave them so searching and seeking after you, or that they would see our father through the ways that we act, the way that we operate, the way that we treat people, the stories that we tell, the words off of our mouth, Lord, it's such a, a joy, an honor, a privilege to be you to them. And Father God, I pray that no one in this room, no one online, Lord, I pray that we would never take our testimony for granted. Lord, you have done big and mighty things in our life. The fact that we're sitting in this room. And Father God, would we never, ever take that for granted? Would it be something that we would shout from the mountaintops boldly? Father God, would you awaken an evangelistic spirit in each one of us? Father, we're coming to a place in our world. And Lord, it's so evident to everyone, Lord, that the end is not far. And would we have done at the end of our day all that we could to tell everyone that we can. Lord, let there not be an ear that we miss. Lord, would you awaken us to our saltiness? Your scripture says that what good is the salt if it's lost its saltiness? So Father God, in any area that we have lost that, Father God, would you awaken it this morning? I challenge us to be the salt and light to this city. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be you to so many. We love you. I'm generally, humbly appreciative.
for what you did on the cross that makes our testimony what it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I want to um, give you guys two more um, opportunities before you go. One is um, our normal tithes and offering that we do. Um, I talked about giving your testimony. This is giving of your tithes. And I would like to share personally um, with you for really quick, just a second. I didn't do this in first service, and I really felt like the Lord had prompted me to, and I didn't. So I don't want to be disobedient. But testimonies, like I said, oftentimes are God's way of sharing what he's doing. Um, recently, a lot of you guys know that Luke and I are in a foster situation with a baby, and so things have kind of gone this way and that way, and we have had, had to hire an attorney. And when we sat down with the, the attorney, the, the first conversation that we had, she sent us a $7,500 bill, and then she said, and then from there on, um, it'll be $375 an hour that I work on it, and that will go all the way through trial. And I know that Luke and I said beyond a shadow of a doubt, we said, well, God specifically said to me, to us, I am going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of it. Well, then our air conditioner broke. Our daughter had to have an expensive arm surgery. And I was like, God, you said that you've got this. And so we followed up with a second attorney. And I want you to know that we got to the end of that conversation. And she said, you know what? I'm not even going to charge you a retainer fee at all. And she said, in the normal $375, I'm not going to do that. I'm only going to do $200 an hour for everything that I have to work on it. And I, in that moment, I realized, God, you are always faithful. And so I don't know how many of you in here understand the concept of tithing, but let me just challenge you. Scripture, God says, would you test me? And would you give me 10%? And would you trust me to do more with the 90 than you could do with the hundred. And I'm gonna tell you, it's something that Luke and I have built our whole marriage on. And he has never, ever, ever dropped the ball in that area. So I challenge you, I challenge you to give your testimony and I challenge you to give and trust him with your finances. Um, and then the third way is there's a lady that has been at Cathedral. She's moved away, actually coming back. And her mission in, in life's job, she started an organization called Operation Gratitude, and she sends care packages for military people. She has actually sent 3.5 million packages out to, to deployed members, veterans, service members, police, firefighters. And so she is having um, this week, this coming up Saturday, they need to pack 8,500 boxes for them. They have all the stuff. They have 20 truckloads of stuff coming in and it needs to be packed. So if you have any time, um, the hours are between nine and 12 and then 12 and three, you can sign up on the cue card. Uh, if you don't, can't do that, we have flyers out there that you can scan and get help out in the foyer. So I just, I wanna pray and bless you. If you guys would stand up, I wanna pray and bless you as you give your testimony, as you give your tithes and as you give of your time. And I wanna appreciate you for being so faithful. Father God, I bless everyone in this room as they give. Father God, I know that you are faithful beyond anything that we can imagine. And so, Lord, I pray that as we do that, that we would keep serving and time and money and our, our story. I, I pray, Father God, that all of that, we would keep it lined up under you in a biblical way, Lord, that we would build our life on biblical principles. And when we do that, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are God and you are faithful and we will be okay. We will be blessed and we will be salt and our stories and our testimonies will change our city. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. I bless you guys with a fabulous week. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. 
If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.